nothing that's the week of Thanksgiving. I keep forgetting that it's a holiday week. I was driving uh, into a coma today, and there was, like, no one on the road. Um, and I was just like, this is amazing. What is going on? And it's because, uh, you know, everyone's gone. Um, how, many of you, how many of you like Thanksgiving's your jam? Anybody? Two people? Three people? Okay. That's fair. Uh, my friend Nathan Hoag, who his office is right there, he's the uh, parish, pact- parish pastor of the Secular Grace Inglewood. Happens to be Inglewood's citizen of the year. Uh, Thanksgiving is his favorite day of the year. Like he lives for it. He gets up super early and, um, dang it, why can't I think of the word? Fry. He fries a turkey, like a whole turkey, dips it in, the really dangerous thing to do. He's all into that. And I, <clears throat> you know, I like Thanksgiving, but um, to me, Thanksgiving is significant because it marks the beginning of Christmas, which I know is sacrilegious to say to people who really love Thanksgiving. But um, I mean, mostly, like I said, I'm looking forward to pie. Uh, Jay asked me what I was doing for Thanksgiving this year, and I honestly can't remember because um, Thanksgiving is always something that's decided for me, which I really appreciate. Uh, my wife's family is all about Thanksgiving, and they kind of cycle around through whose house we're going to, and um, I, I didn't know off the top of my head where it is. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's at Michaela's parents' house, and she's going to be mad at me for not knowing that, but um, <clears throat> all that to say, after this week, at this time next, next Tuesday, we will be in Advent, which is crazy, and I cannot wait. Um, okay, so tonight we're finishing up Exodus. This is the end of this series. And we are not, by any means, doing Exodus justice. I've had a really good time in the series. I think, I hopefully, we've all learned a lot, but there's a lot that we have to skip over. Um, for instance, we, we're going to pick up where Shana left off. I'm going to give you a quick recap. She taught us through chapter 16. Tonight, the story that I'm teaching you is from chapter 32. So we're going to cover like 16 chapters really, really quickly here. Uh, if you remember from two weeks ago, uh, Shana was talking about uh, the, the people of Israel traveling through the desert and God providing for them manna and quail and water. Um, eventually, they come to the foot of this mountain called Mount Sinai, where God, God's spirit resides at the top of the mountain. And he invites Moses, and only Moses, to come up to meet him. There, God makes a covenant with the nation of Israel. Um, since he rescued them from Egypt... There to adhere to his law. And he gives them the Ten Commandments uh, th- that actually all of the people audibly hear him say the Ten Commandments. And then he gives other specific instructions to Moses on the mountain. And the people all excitedly accept God's terms. Like he, God lays out, if, if you want to be my people, this is what it takes. And everyone says yes. After this, God says that his spirit isn't going to stay up on this mountain of Sinai. He's going to come down the mountaintop and dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. But first, they need to prepare a place for him called the tabernacle, which is sort of a portable version of the temple. Um, so God invites Moses back up the mountain and, and lays out detailed, detailed, details and instructions for the tabernacle all the way down to the uniforms that the priests will wear. This takes 40 days takes 40 days for God to tell Moses all, all of these plans, all these details. And our story picks up right at the end of this detailed instruction about the tabernacle. And it's the story of the golden calf. And then, uh, so I'm going to read that story, and then I just have just a short reflection for us tonight, since it's a little bit of an abridged night since we had pizza at the beginning and pie is waiting for us. I don't know if you heard, we have pie. All right, so this is chapter 32, verses 1 through 24. 
When the people realized that Moses was taking forever in coming down, the, coming down off the mountain, they rallied around Aaron and said, do something. Make gods for us who will lead us. That Moses, the man who got us out of Egypt, who knows what happened to him? So Aaron told them, take off the gold rings from your ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. They all did it. They removed the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from their hands and cast it in the form of a calf, shaping it with an engraving tool. Keep that in mind. That's going to be an important detail later. Aaron worked really hard on this thing. The people responded with enthusiasm. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from Egypt. Aaron, taking in the situation, built an altar before the calf. Aaron then announced, today is a feast day to God. Where it says God there is, it would say in your Bible, the Lord. This is the proper name for God. So it's kind of interesting what's going on here. The people are like, here are your gods. And Aaron's like, well, what if we still worship God, but like here's a calf that looks like him. It's kind of, we don't know exactly what's going on. Like are they building a, an image that is supposed to be God? Or are they trying to build an image that's completely different gods and and Aaron's trying to kind of mitigate the situation? Either way, it's bad, so we're not really sure. (sighs) Early in the next morning, the people got up and offered whole burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and then began to party. It turned into a wild party. That has, like, weird cultic sexual overtones to it. So, like, a weird party. God spoke to Moses, go, get down there. Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have fallen to pieces. In no time at all, they've turned away from what I commanded them. They made a molten calf and worshiped it. They sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Side note, them doing this, them building an image of God and then worshiping it or worshiping other gods is breaking the first and second commandment, which they had just agreed to. God said to Moses, I look at this people. Oh, what a stubborn, hard-headed people. Let me alone now. Give, me, give my anger free reign to burst into flames and incinerate them. But I'll make a great nation out of you. Moses tried to calm his God down. He said, why, God, would you lose your temper with your people? Why? You brought them out of Egypt in a tremendous demonstration of power and strength. Why let the Egyptians say he had it in for them? He brought them out so that he could kill them in the mountains, wipe them off the face of the earth. Stop your anger. Think twice about bringing evil against your people. Think of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you gave your word, telling them, I will give you many children, as many as the stars in the sky, and I will give this land to your children as their land forever. And God did think twice. He decided not to do the evil that he threatened against his people. Moses turned around and came down from the mountain, carrying the two tablets of the testimony. This is allegedly the the two tablets that the Ten Commandments are written on. The tablets were written on both sides, front and back. God made the tablets, and God wrote the tablets, and he engraved them. When Joshua heard the sound of the people shouting noisily, he said to Moses, that's the sound of war in in the camp. But Moses said, those aren't songs of victory, and those aren't songs of defeat. I hear songs of people throwing a weird party. And that's what it was. When Moses came near to the camp and saw the calf and the people dancing, his anger flared. He threw down the tablets and smashed them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, melted it down with fire, pulverized it into powder, then scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. That sounds crazy, and it is. It sounds really extreme. But this is actually, um, I don't know that this necessarily makes it better, but for some context, this is what would be done to someone who was caught in adultery. 
they would be forced to drink this, this water mixed with dust and in some way that like determined their guilt. But basically, this is like Moses saying, you've committed adultery against God. Moses said to Aaron, what on earth did these people ever do to you that you involved them in this huge sin? And Aaron said, Master, don't be angry. You know this people and how set on evil they are. They said to me, make God who will lead us. This Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I said, who has gold? And they took off their jewelry and gave it to me. I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> now, I, I, this is actually where we're stopping tonight. I don't know if this is supposed to be funny because this is actually like a really serious moment, but that's a hilarious excuse. That's like the worst excuse ever. Don't be mad at me. I just threw gold in the fire and out came this calf. Like, I, I really appreciate how in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, uh, it does not shy away from showing heroes' worst moments. So Aaron is absolutely a hero in most of this book and most of Jewish history. And this is a terrible moment for him. Like, he doesn't even have the courage to just take responsibility. For, for his actions. He, he gives the worst, lamest, like, most immature <laughs> excuse possible. And I just think that's interesting that, that the Bible includes that in there. Because he's human. And we all have really embarrassing, bad moments along the way. That's a different talk. So what's happening here? What is going on? The people are sitting around in the wilderness waiting. God is taking forever. It's been 40 days since they've seen Moses. They don't know what happened to him. They're assuming he's dead. They're tired of trusting. They're tired of being patient. They want something that they can be more sure of. Every other nation has physical forms of the gods that they worship, something tangible that they can see and touch. So Israel thinks, why not us? So they build this golden calf, and, and this golden calf just comes out of the fire, and they begin to worship it and make sacrifices to it. I would like to suggest that we've all been here. We've all been in this moment that they were faced with. When it feels like our faith doesn't work, when, when we're tired of trusting, we're tired of holding out hope, when we want something that we can be more sure of, something more certain, something that feels more real. We look around and see things that, that seem to be working for others and we tr tend to gravitate there. And we grab on or, or add things onto our faith or kind of subjugate our faith to these other things, whether that's, uh, you know, universalism or nihilism or, or critical social justice or nationalism or fundamentalism or any of the other frameworks or ideologies or isms that tend to infiltrate our faith. All of us are susceptible to building a golden calf. All of us are susceptible to building a version of who or what we think God should be or what we think is worthy of our worship rather than God himself. Why does that matter? Why is this important? Why is God ready to incinerate all the people when this is happening? It's because humans are, are, human beings are worshiping creatures. We all worship something. It's what we were designed. It's what we were made to do. It's not a matter of if we worship something. It's a matter of what or who are we worshiping. And along with being worshiping creatures, we are image bearers. We bear the image of whatever our object of worship is. Uh, James K.A. Smith, who's a theologian and author who writes a lot about worship, puts it beautifully saying that we become what we desire. 
we are what we love. We're created to worship. We're created to most love God. We're created to bear the image of God. That means we're created to reflect his image to creation around us. And when we love God above all else, when we image, when we reflect God, we flourish. But when we aim our hearts at anything or anyone less than God, uh, we start to image something less than worthy of our hearts. And we become a sort of deformed version of ourselves. This is why God takes it so seriously in the story. The only thing worthy of, of our, our love, our worship, our imaging is our creator. But all of us are susceptible to worshiping something or someone less than God. We're all susceptible to building a version of who we think um, God should be or what we think is worthy of our worship. So, this is something that, you know, especially when I was a worship pastor, but still sometimes keeps me up at night. How can we know if we're worshiping God or, or something else? Or maybe more nefariously, more tricky, a harder thing to figure out sometimes is how can we tell if we're worshiping God or merely our idea of who we think God should be? I think this is one of the reasons why community is so important. We need community. We need to be able to talk to one another about the controversial and confusing things in the world. We need to actually be able to hear each other and listen to each other. Um, we need to be able to have conversations without someone just waiting for someone to say the wrong thing and pounce on them, which is like just what's going on in the rest of our culture. So we need to be able to talk about social justice and nihilism and universalism and nationalism and fundamentalism. We need to be able to talk about uh, how we relate to money. We need to be able to talk about uh, sex. We need to be able to talk about uh, all of these things that can be difficult to grapple with, but can so easily get confusing when, it, when we try to think through how do we interact with these things and more, more to the point, how do we worship God through these things, or can we worship God through these things? We need to be able to hear each other and, and be able to come together and discern together what's going on in our lives and in the world. But when it comes to knowing whether, whether we're worshiping God or something less, I think the best question for you to ask yourself is who are you becoming? Do the fruit of the Spirit show up in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I think that's all of them nailed it. Um, are you characterized by these things? Would anyone in your life describe you as any of those things? I think, again, community can help us answer that question. But ultimately, only you know the condition and the trajectory of your heart. So, are you becoming more like Christ? Or are you becoming more like something or someone else? Something less than worthy of your worship. If it's the latter, you may have put a golden calf in God's place. And if that's the case, tear it down. You were made for more. You were made for better. 
You were made to love, to worship, to reflect, to image the infinite, transcendent ground of all being. You, you were made for nothing less than God himself. Nothing less than God himself is worth your love, your ultimate love. That's all I want us to reflect on tonight. That's all I want us to consider. So, as we move into Advent, and as we enter this season of contemplating the infinite God becoming incarnate, becoming finite, may we abandon our idols, our makeshift, synthetic, artificial gods, and instead worship our loving creator, seen most clearly through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that um, you created us with the capacity to uh, bear your image, to reflect you to the world around us. God, thank you that our ultimate design is to become more like you to be conformed to the image of Christ. God, I pray that we would be willing to ruthlessly look at our lives and tear down golden calves that we have put in front of you or ahead of you or in place of you. God, I pray that we would not be willing to settle for anything less than worshiping you. And I pray that we can continue to become a community that helps each other do that. A place where we can talk about the difficult and confusing and controversial things so that together we can discern where you're at in all of it because we know that you're somewhere in all of it. God, we love you. Amen.